0: Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now, here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon.
1: Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're in Detroit, and we're so thankful to be here at WMUZ Studios in Crawford Broadcasting. I'm excited to be in Michigan because I'm from Michigan, so I am loving hearing all these stories from Michigan adoptions. Um, or just families who have adopted that are willing to tell their story in this great state. So it's exciting. We love at Adoption Now hearing about children just getting families and orphans becoming non-orphans anymore. They have parents, and it's just a beautiful thing that God is doing And we can see his hand through it, even though it's complete chaos during the process. So our show is here just to help people understand what it's like, um, to encourage you if you're going through it, or if you've already finalized, just to have you listen to these stories and really understand that probably what you went through is not so different from what somebody else went through. It is very difficult at times and very rewarding at times. And so today we're excited to have Natalie on the show. She submitted her story and talks about her adoption from Ukraine. She adopted two children, and we think it's exciting because this is our first story from the Ukraine. Natalie, thank you for being here.
0: It's great to be here. I'm excited.
1: Okay, so why did you and your husband choose adoption?
0: We chose adoption. Um, It was actually part of our marriage conversation. Before we got married, we decided we wanted to have two biological children, and then we thought, well, we'll adopt a third one. It's part of my family. We understand adoption. And so we were married, and several years into our marriage, we found out that we are an infertile couple, so we knew that we wanted to adopt. When we went into adoption, we thought that we would go into domestic adoption, adopting a baby. That's what we wanted. But at our first, inter- our first adoption awareness meeting, they introduced their international adoption process very briefly mentioning Ukraine. My family is from Ukraine, my mom's side of the family. And we came out of that, knowing that we were going to go to Ukraine. It was quite, it was quite incredible.
1: That is amazing. And really a testament to really finding your path and figuring out what works for you. So when you have a country that you know, yes, we're going to do this or domestic adoption or whatever you choose, it's usually because there's a link somewhere in there to that country or to a child. So for you, your family's from the Ukraine, which is very cool, and so you started that process. What did that look like?
0: It looked like a lot of paperwork. <laughs> we first did the United States requires to you to be certified through the state and through the United States. So we did all of that. It took us probably about four to five months to go through all of the paperwork, all of the training, the classes, the um, books that we had to read, and we had to provide book reports. Then after that, we had to do what, uh, put a dossier together. That's a group of paperwork that the country requires in order to approve you for adoption there. That took us another three to four months. We not only had to get all of the paperwork, we had to get it notarized, and then we had to get it. And I think this is how you pronounce it, apostilled. So in other words, we had to go to the Secretary of State and have them um, provide some paperwork saying that this person who notarized your signature is actually a notary. And then we had to get it all together, send it to our agency, who then sent it to Ukraine. And then it kind of sits in a line, and you wait. And we waited from, goodness, I think that we, for our first one, we probably waited about Four or five months which was not that bad for ukraine and then for our first adoption we had 10 days to get our money our clothes get packed and get to ukraine for our adoption and for our second adoption with for our amelia we had several months so it was it was totally a wild really ride different. <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: so as i said in the beginning of the show a lot of times if you've adopted there's so many similarities you and I talked a little bit, and I had similarities, and I did domestic adoption. But then there are so many differences and so many different hoops that each individual has to go through that nobody can really help you through. And she went to the same country and had different scenarios with two different children in the same country. So it's just about the journey and sharing your story and really talking about your experience that, number one, educates people and helps them understand the the country, but also um, just opens up the door for you to be able to express what you have been through. I read your story, and it's just incredible. When people go to a different country, they experience so many different things. And so it's a little bit different than any other country that I had read you actually went there and then you were matched they gave you several children to choose from
0: mm-hmm. was that hard oh man uh, how do you how do you know from a, a passport photo sized photo that you want this child you really don't because you don't see their personality and of course with Ukraine you go there not knowing if their medical history is accurate sometimes they lie so that the kids can be placed on the international adoption list sometimes it's It's inaccurate because they don't diagnose based on actual medical diagnosis. Sometimes they will guess and put it on their medical documents. And um, sometimes it's just not true. It's just not accurate. Um, So you never know what you're getting into when you adopt from Ukraine. We knew going in that there were no healthy children available for adoption. They don't have children without medical needs available internationally. We also knew that at that time, we couldn't adopt a child under the age of eighteen months. It was older than eighteen months. And the, uh, so that has changed a little bit. Now it's um, six years. You have to you can't adopt a child under the age of six really? years old without significant medical issues. yeah. So with our first adoption, we had passport sized photos, and we were presented several children. And I don't know what it was about Eli's little picture, but I I kept saying to my husband, let's let's go see this little guy. You know why not? He had this little smirk on his face. Like, what on earth are you people doing? And so we went. We we had to take an overnight train. Um, a lot of the process with international adoption is hurry up and wait. So we we had to wait another day in order to get the approval to go to the orphanage to see this child and connect with him. And then. Um, so we, ha- we took this overnight train and we went to the orphanage and we just, uh, my husband knew right away, this is our kid. Really? So yeah, he I didn't want to make any assumptions because I wanted my husband to really be on board. I kept telling him, I can love any child with time. So I want you, because you're a man, right to really make that choice. He, we watched him play and he was very determined with everything that he did. We knew once we saw him that he had some form of cerebral palsy. He would take two steps and then he would fall and two steps and he would fall. And he was just very awkward with his movements. He was three. He was three. Yeah. And um, we got, but we got to take him outside and play and they have playgrounds there. typically kids don't really get to go outside much. Um, They just don't have the workers. They don't have the time and they don't they just can't do that often. So um, then with Amelia's adoption, um, that was a more challenging adoption. So we went, we had the same, we went to the same building. We went through the same process. We picked a child to go and see. We went to visit her. And through that visit, we decided this wasn't our daughter. And it was probably... It was the most painful thing that we have ever done. I I cried, and but the orphanage workers were just so sweet. And their response to me was, we only want the best for this little girl.
1: How did you decide that she was not your daughter?
0: My husband and I were not, we weren't unified. And I knew that if my husband wasn't 100% on board and I wasn't 100% on board, that it would make it more challenging. She had some medical issues that we didn't really understand or know much about. And we didn't really know if this would be something that we could handle. So we just walked away, hearts broken, and tried the process again. Our second child that we went to go meet, um, we had to kind of fight for her a little bit. Is this all
1: on the same trip?
0: No, this was the second adoption. Okay. So this is the second. So
1: so let's go back mm-hmm. to the first adoption. Sure. So you connect with Eli and you bring him home. How long did you wait in the country before you got paperwork to come home?
0: We were there. I was there. I stayed the whole time for a month after that.
1: Is that common?
0: That's very common. You have a 10-day waiting period where the family is notified that the child is going to be adopted and they have the choice to come and say, no, we don't want this person to adopt our child. That rarely happens because by the time they get to the point of the orphanage and they haven't visited the child for a year, um, they're they're ready to allow that child to be adopted. Um, so then we went to court, and then we had the 10 day waiting period, and then we had to go back to the Kiev, which is another 12- overnight train with this little guy who was terrified, that couldn't speak the language, we couldn't communicate.
1: Did he come with you? Did he mm-hmm. want to come with you, or is he confused at what was happening? Do you I think know- he was
0: pretty confused.
1: Do you know how long he was with his birth parents?
0: He was placed in the adopt- uh, in the orphanage within the first year, so probably okay. towards the end of that first year of okay. his
1: life. So he had been there for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. now you're taking him away. Right. How was he responding?
0: It was incredible. So the lady that we rented a flat from, she worked in the orphanage. We didn't know that at the time, but she worked at the orphanage. Not only did she work in the orphanage, but she knew Eli when he came in, and she took care of him, and only two people were allowed to to even touch him for the first year that he was in the orphanage. So she communicated to him, you know what, this is your mom and this is your grandma. My mom was with me at the time. And they're going to take you and they're going to be your family now. And so she was able to kind of explain that a little bit to him, which is not typical.
1: Well, that's nice that you had... (laughs)
0: I mean, God really worked that out where you were had this
1: flat lady, flat lady. That's not the way to say that. But she was, you know, you rented this flat and this lady could communicate. I mean, what would you have done if you didn't have that?
0: He would have been confused, very confused. And, you know, we really didn't have a way to. Communi- well, my and here's the other really cool thing. So in Ukraine, most people speak Russian because they have only been their own country for about 25 years, so they're slowly switching over to the language of Ukraine. My mom speaks fluent Ukrainian, and so even though the languages are different, she was able to kind of get a few a few words here and there to make him understand what was expected of him.
1: Oh, that is great. I know. Okay, so now he's with you. He's overnighting in a train, and is he – I mean, you just jumped in. You were a mom overnight mm-hmm. to a three-year-old. Right. So did you know what to feed him? Did you know what his schedule was like?
0: Not at all. That's why my mom was with me. (laughs) I figured she raised two kids, well, three really, and we're all still here, and we're not, you know, struggling with things. So I figured she knew what she was talking about and what she was doing. So she was a great help to me. Not only that, but just going to the grocery store was a struggle because I had no idea what I was buying. You know, everything's in Russian. And so just knowing you know, what do I feed this child? And so she was able to help understanding the culture and what they typically feed their children. Um, we had to go to the American embassy to get him checked out for tuberculosis. Um, he cleared that. It was a couple day wait. In the meantime, we met some people who would, uh, one of our taxi drivers volunteered to take us around the area to show us some of the history of Ukraine. And it was it was really fun to see that.
1: That's very cool because you got a chance to really know the country that he's coming from and eventually your daughter. So if they have questions, you can, you know, you can answer and say, yeah, we were there and this is what it's like. You know, sometimes people, number one, often have escorts bring their child over from another country or they go over there and they're really not allowed to explore some places in Africa. They have to stay in a hotel. And so they don't get to know what, what it's like for their child or what it has been like And then they bring them over here and it's just a guessing game, which can be very stressful for the child. And so it sounds like this was totally meant to be. Your mom is with you. She can understand some of the things that um, he needs. And you you get this chance to spend a month in the country and really travel around. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. So then you bring him home. And what was life like here?
0: It was a little bit chaotic. So in order to the first thing that um, we had to do was take him to the doctor and they had to run a panel of tests on him just to make sure that um, his vaccines, they said that he had some vaccines. So we did a what's called a, t- a titer to see if he had any immunity to some of the things. Uh, we had to do... The, the most interesting thing is that we had to gather some of his poop to look for parasites. So oh, that was... Yes, yes, <laughs> was yes, yes. Fun. There was... With him, we did have to go to a neurologist because we knew that he had some sort of um, cerebral palsy. So we did an MRI.
1: And what did he have?
0: Um, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, very mild case. His um, gray matter that controls his intelligence was not affected, but it's the white matter that controls his brain's um, communication with the rest of his body. And so he's a little bit, when you look at him, he looks completely normal except for his his leg braces. But and he can move. It's a little more labored, and it's a little more difficult for him. But um, but yeah, he's healthy and he he does walk. He does walk. Um, in fact, he's my little determined child who decided a few summers ago he wanted to ride a bike with balance issues. I was like, well, um, okay, let's try this. So we put gave him a bike with training wheels, and he taught himself how to ride that. And then the next summer, he said, Mom take the training wheels off. And I said, where's the bubble wrap? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, but he, and he wanted to teach himself. He would not let me help him. And so he did. He, it took him a little bit longer than normal, but he taught himself how to ride a bike without training wheels.
1: That is amazing. And you saw that in the very first meeting that he was determined as you're watching a play, how has he attached to you and your husband?
0: He is securely attached to us. We did a lot in the beginning. The first three months they say you need to stay home right And you need to, you know minimize the content. He did have a lot of sensory issues. So we, we did stay home a lot. I rarely took him out to the grocery store, those types of things. and then we slowly started increasing his uh, what he was seeing. We also had a lot of things happen that first year that helped with the attachment process, the MRI, you know, I mean, here's this little tiny guy getting sedated for an MRI. It was terrifying for me. Then when he had to go through something called serial casting, where he had soft casts on his legs to stretch out his muscles so that he could walk on his he- uh, on his heels because he was up on his toes. Then we also had his first ER visit, which was on my husband's birthday that that December, where he had a staple in the back of his head. And then we had him circumcised, and then we had his tonsils and ad noise taken oh, out. Oh, my goodness. So we have a, had a lot of cuddle time. We also, um, every night, I made sure and wore a low-cut shirt so that we had a lot of skin-to-skin contact, and I would rock him in a rocking chair. Until even he was at three? Even at three, yeah, um, and we had his little head was on my chest and I would rock him and then he would get tired and I would sing to him and he would point to his bed and tell me that he was ready to go to sleep. And so all of those things, just that you know containing him for mm-hmm. so long and having those really hard experiences where he had to come to someone for right comfort, that all really helped him securely attach.
1: So he knew that you were the nurturer, and he attached to your husband?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's easier for a boy, I think, to attach to his mom. But I also think that because all of his experiences were women, with women, it was a lot easier for him to attach with me. We purposely – I would – There were a lot of moments where I would, my husband would walk in the door and I would walk out and I would go drive around the corner and I would just cry for an hour because it was hard. It's so hard to have this three-year-old and to be with him all day and not to know what, what on earth I'm doing.
1: How long did it take him to learn English?
0: It was probably about a year. After about six months, he completely stopped talking and he observed and he learned and then... Um, When he was just about four years old, he started just communicating all of a sudden one day. And we were like, oh, okay, well, that's cool.
1: (laughs) Do you think that they were kind to him in the orphanage?
0: I do. I think that um, this orphanage with Allah, who was his caregiver there, I think that he really he was definitely loved. I think they did the best that they could with what they had. In Ukraine, they don't value their orphans. So the money is not there to really, truly take care of him. But he was also in an orphanage where it was some of the best doctors in that area were there helping oh, wow. him. Yeah.
1: I only asked that because um, you said that with female caregivers, it's often easy for a child to attach to a mother. But if the female caregivers are abusive, then the child will not attach. And so oftentimes you see a child that goes to the dad and it's very easy for the dad to attach and the mom's like, wait a second. But it's because they've had so many different caregivers and some of them have been abusive that they don't trust women. So I mean, every story is different. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the husband or in the situation, the birth father has abused a child. And so the child doesn't go to the dad's so many different things. But it sounds like for him, he attached to both of you and he's able to walk and you helped him move on. One of the things I loved about your story that when I read it is that you um, said you went overseas, number one, because you had the connection. Number two, people don't understand that children with disabilities in another country are left with nothing. So we were talking about how often somebody will say, well, why didn't you just adopt from America? There are a lot of kids here. And we get that too. And we say, oh, we we did. (laughs) These African-American children are from America. But It's not really anybody's choice to judge why you went overseas. And one of the biggest reasons is because if you didn't get these children, there would be no hope for them.
0: Yeah, in Ukraine, a disability is looked at as a stigma. And so really once they – once any child graduates from the orphanage, they are left with nothing. And oftentimes they go to the streets and they get into drugs and they get into some of these – human trafficking is huge in Ukraine – um, so yeah, he he probably wouldn't have had much of a, a future.
1: I'm so glad you went over there.
0: Me too. We're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're
1: gonna talk about the second adoption and the journey to get their daughter. You're listening to Adoption Now. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at
1: 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband, and I want to thank you for listening to this story on today's program. Do you have an adoption story? April and I have been through our own adoption journey, and I'd like to encourage you to contact us about sharing your story. You can do that by going to our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking on the Tell Your Story tab. Let's join together and inspire others. And now let's rejoin April and the rest of today's story.
0: Faith and Family Radio, KLT, Denver.
1: Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Natalie. Her and her husband went over to the Ukraine to adopt two children. Now in the story, she's brought home one son, Eli. He was three years old and had a slight form of cerebral palsy. They found out after they brought him back, but he's doing great. He's walking, he's determined. And so now you're ready for another child. And so you, you decided to go back to the Ukraine.
0: We did. Um, we prayed about it because we were still deciding, do we foster adopt? Do we adopt here in the U.S.? But God was just really um, telling us we need to go back to Ukraine. So we started the process a little quicker the second time around because we didn't have to do all of the um, book reading and, and the education for the second adoption. So
1: Is that your agency that said that you had to do that or is that the country they want you to read certain books? I've never heard of that mm-hmm. and book reports that you talked about.
0: It might have been the agency. I'm not really sure. Um, this we had to do a second agency for the sec- a different agency for the second adoption because the agency we are, went through for the first adoption closed their adop- their Ukraine adoptions. So okay. we found another agency and yeah. We didn't have to do it. No.
1: Okay. So then you you know updated your home study and you're ready to go over. You had talked a little bit about that in the first segment that you saw one child and you knew it wasn't a good fit, which was very difficult for you and your husband at times. There are times, though, on the journey where it doesn't fit. And even though your heart is huge and you're like, I'll take all the kids, (laughs) when it's not right, it's not right. And you have to go forward. And that can be very devastating. So Mm -hmm. in the same trip, you're still looking for your child. And in the Ukraine, it's a little bit different. You said that you go over there and then you're matched after you go over there. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at all these pictures that are really tiny and trying to decide, is this our daughter? Is this our daughter? I mean, that must just be weird to see pictures and try to make that choice
0: it was very overwhelming and we didn't really feel we knew we wanted a daughter this adoption and so we were shown girls but girls are harder to adopt from ukraine because of the human trafficking issue there because they are a little leery of international adoptions they think that you're adopting them so that you can use them for human trafficking there's oh. a lot of distrust in foreign uh, with international adoptions there, and so we were handed this booklet. This time um, we had a whole book of kids to look at, and it was exhausting emotionally. We have you only have an hour to look through this book and pick. It's like you're iny miny money mowing it. Right. Well, my husband this time said, "You know what? There's this little girl. So let's let's just try this little girl." So we went to visit for our second visit this little girl. And what is insane about this adoption is that both of the girls we looked at, their names were Nastia, which is short for Anastasia. Both of the girls had parents who – a mom who was born the same year I was born, and both of their moms were named Natalie. So it was just kind of like what in the world is going on here?
1: And really hard to choose. Did you take your son? No, we didn't. Okay, so he stayed in the states while you were traveling. Yeah, okay. he did stayed... he know you were going to get a sibling? Yes, and was he excited?
0: Oh, he was excited. He's actually the one that got us started on our side. <laughs> He's like, "Mom, I want a baby. I want a, a sibling." Is basically said in his little cute little tiny voice, um, and so he he stayed with my mother in law and sister in law, and we just kind of it worked out great.
1: Okay, so you went to go see the first little girl, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. a good fit. You both knew. Yeah. And now you're on your way to see the second little girl.
0: Yes. So she comes from a region called Donetsk, which is on the very east side of Ukraine. And we went to visit her. When we when we got there, I mean, we knew it was going to be, be a little bit of a battle. And we found out later that there was another family who had tried to adopt her. But there was a judge who was not in, for international adoptions. And because of some technicality, they denied the adoption. And so they were back in the country. And... Um, for a completely different reason. But they were wanting to connect to see how is she doing? You know, is there a possibility that maybe we could adopt her now? How old was she? She was five.
1: And how old is your son?
0: He at the time was also five. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So she is eight months older than he is. And um, so we connected with this family and said, you know what, we're here to visit with her. We don't want to step on any toes, so we need to. You know, if you are serious about coming to get her, we will back off. Um, but we're here, and we'd love to take her home. And her response: This is beautiful. She said, "You know what? I've I've just simply prayed for a family that will that loves God to come and take her home. So the fact that you are there, and the fact that we can connect, and I know who you are, and I can keep track of her is a blessing. So she gave us her blessing. She called the orphanage and said let this family adopt them. And things started to kind of get a little smoother, but there was still a little bit of an issue between us and the (laughs) caregivers. And It's interesting
1: to me, and I've heard this before, that one family, international family, can get denied And then another family can come in and get approved. And it happens. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I know some families that have been waiting in the DRC, they waited so long and the country says no. And then another family says, well, we'll adopt. And then the country says yes. And it's it's just interesting to me that they would say yes to one family. You think across the board, they would say, no, this child's not going anywhere. But to you, because it was your daughter and Mm -hmm. meant to be. It worked out. And so even though it was really difficult, you did end up bringing her home. And how long did you yeah. wait in the country?
0: Well, it was a little more... It was. It seems like it was a little longer because I was so emotionally drained. So the issue is that the judges are all allowed to make those decisions. So the judge that had denied their adoption was no longer there. So okay. we, we had a new judge um, who was very um, supportive of international adoptions. Um, so we probably were in the country for another month. I actually came home for a week in between because I just needed, I I needed to plug in with my friends and just be lifted up a little bit. It was such an emotional first, you know, few weeks there. And I think it was a a month. And then I went back for two weeks to actually bring her home. So during that 10 day waiting period that we had to stay in the, or that she had to stay in the orphanage, I ended up coming home. And then my mom met me back there. We did all of the testing and we got her in the country, came home. And it was, a, it was a really long journey with this ADHD child who did not sleep at all during the four-hour layover in Amsterdam. She did not sleep at all on the flight. She wouldn't watch any of the TV because she didn't understand it. And so the last 20 minutes, she was such a little peanut, she curled up in a ball on the seat and she fell asleep. Once we got into the country... She, we actually had to help the immigration um, officers understand that as soon as she touched U.S. soil, because of the forms that we had, uh, immigration forms that we had filled out, she was a U.S. citizen. And they tried to argue, not argue with us, but they they weren't sure how that worked. And I said, well, we've been through this. I was very nice. We've been through this before. Could you just check? And so we had to wait a little bit at the airport, finally got to... My family, and I looked at my husband who had stayed behind. I said, I love you. These are your children. I need some sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You've just been through it. And
1: did your daughter want to go with you?
0: Oh, yeah. She did. She was excited.
1: Even though she was switching families because she had been matched to another family, Mm -hmm. she was willing to go with you. Absolutely. And was she a good girl? Like, did she listen? Even though she didn't sleep, was she a good listener or?
0: No. She was quite energetic. And I think it was her little body was just taking in so much so fast right. that it just kept her wired. And um, so it was – We my mom walked her up and down all over the place in the airport when we were waiting. So
1: your mom went with you a second time. Yes. Your mom is great.
0: She's amazing. <laughs> and so is my dad for letting her. And, but yeah, she was just a very energetic child. When we came home, you know, with any adoption, you're going to ex- probably experience a little bit of regression. So with Eli, it was he went back into diapers for a little while and we had to repotty train him. With her, she seemed to be more like a two-year-old. Um, she had ju- turned six while we were back in the country. And so she was a new six-year-old, but she... She tore things like books. She stuck board books in her mouth and would chew on them, anything. And so we had to actually take all of her toys out of her room and only give her toys that were rated for two plus because we were afraid that she was going to choke on something.
1: Right. Did she have sensory issues?
0: I, I didn't notice as many sensory issues with her. My son definitely did. Um, but she seemed to take everything in well.
1: Was she healthy?
0: as healthy as she could have been they tried as much as they could to feed her good food but they don't have again they don't have the money to really feed her a lot of the um good healthy things that uh, that she would have needed so she, when we got home, I mean, this, this tiny six-year-old would pound down a whole chicken breast in like five minutes.
1: So she was really hungry because earlier mm-hmm. you had said that um, only medically fragile children were available yes. to adopt. So what would they have considered her medical disability?
0: She was six, so it was a little bit different for her. Okay. Because she was a little older. And the older the child is, the more difficult it is to adopt them out. So so
1: she's healthy yes. as far as, you know, disabilities. She's not yes. disabled. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she came home and she's just like catching up and eating all the food. And how did um, Eli and her get along?
0: It was fantastic. My son was so excited to have a sister. He, I, We would talk to him, you know what, buddy, your sister's going to need us a lot when she comes home. And so we need you to be understanding, but we don't want you to think that we've forgotten about you. We are going to make plans. And if you ever need to have us one-on-one, if you ever need to have a date with us, please let us know. We're not trying to forget about you, but your sister really needs you. And I would ask him peri- periodically, hey, bud, how are you doing? You know, What can we do to help you? Do you need us to go on a date? And he just would look at me and say, no, mom, Amelia really needs you Aww. right now. <laughs> Did he teach her English? Uh, I don't if he did or not I think he definitely helped her
1: because she didn't know any right right okay so um, So did it take her a full year or did she learn faster
0: it took her a full year what's interesting about her is she never stopped talking so she was six so she had to go to school for you know U.S. laws we placed her in kindergarten instead of first grade and her teacher has a lot of experience with refugee families here in Macomb County, we have quite a few. And so she would help me understand where Amelia was coming from. And she was very supportive and she was great. Um, But Amelia, I would pick her up from school and she did not stop talking the entire 20 minutes home from school. I have no idea to this day what she was saying, but I would encourage her, oh, that's great. And so she's slowly switched over to English. Um, She's, yeah, she's doing great.
1: And so she attached as well to you and to your husband. And do you have a time when you remember her actually, or did she always just, you're my mom?
0: No, her, she, with her, it was a little bit more of a struggle because she was older and she had experienced a lot more women in her life. It wasn't like Eli where he had just a set group of women who took care of him. So we had to be a lot more pers purposeful with her, she would walk off in the mall and invite herself over to people's houses. Mm
1: -hmm. She would... We call that mother shopping. Yes. When they're not, they don't know you. And so they're kind of, they're always looking around for, are you my mom? Will you be my mom? Hey, you have candy. I think you should be my mom. (laughs) You know, and so trying to break that cycle because it's really a survival mentality of having a lot of different caregivers. You don't have one person consistently. And so we have to break that. Oftentimes... The child will not be allowed to, like you said, go out. You don't go out into public or you ask people, please don't give my child any food or any any treats because I need her to know it's me that's going to give that to her. I need to train her. Did you go through that process?
0: Yeah, yeah, we tried everything. We had to do a lot more with her than we did with Eli because again she was a little older. We did a little regression therapy. We put her in counseling because I was so beside myself. I didn't know what to do with this little one. So we did a little bit of regression therapy. So she sat on my lap and I would cradle her like a like a baby and I would bottle feed her water or milk or whatever and I would caress her her little cheek and say and look into her eyes and say, Your mom, I you know, I as a baby, your mom would have looked at you in the eyes, and your mom would have touched your face, and your mom would have done this, um, talking about her tummy mommy, as we have called her. Um, when a mom looks at a baby like this, this is what happens when a mom, you know, touches a belly or or whatever. So we kind of walked her through that. Um, it was probably about six months into our adoption before we started that, so she could understand what we were saying. That definitely helped not only with the uh, attachment, but also with... Um, her understanding who we are and also with kind of coming out of that toddler phase.
1: That's interesting that you say that because we did that as well, a little bit of that with um, our oldest. He was constantly wanting a bottle and he was four. And of course, on the outside, everybody's saying to us, stop. You have to cut that off. And so we were trying to pull that from him. And the more we tried, the bigger the fight was. And he was just melting down constantly. And we had a therapist say the same thing. Let's do a little bit of therapy with him. So you're going to get a bottle and you're going to hold him and you're going to rock him to sleep. And you're going to say, mommy's always feed you. Look into my eyes. You have to Mm -hmm. make that eye contact. Mommy will always be here, mommy. And he didn't need a bottle. Within, I I would say, a week, he was done. And it was something that he was trying to tell us. And if we approached it as a regular child, you know, everyone from outside was saying, pull it away and get, force him into, you know, growing up. This is not what he needs to do. And honestly getting all those voices out of what they were, you know, the outside influence and listening to a therapist, he healed so quickly. And so maybe you're listening right now and you're having a child that constantly wants a bottle or wants to be a baby and you just can't understand why your seven-year-old is acting like a baby nonstop. That child might be saying to you, I need you to care for me like a baby. I need to know that you're a mom to me as a baby too. And you kind of go backwards and you wrap them in a blanket and you, you play baby with them. You just get to the place where they are, and they realize you are their mom. You're going to be there for them, and the healing is amazing. So I I love that you said that, and I think somebody out there is going to really take that and needs to hear that and and is going to try that with their child. And so we both did that, and it worked, and (laughs) so we encourage you to do that as well. You talked a little bit about – all the stuff that you have been through, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, I've lived in Africa for three years, I always talk about it, but just fighting the the system, so to speak, for your child and just pulling them from an orphanage and all these things spiritually that you're going through, mentally and physically, financially, and you were completely drained and you experienced postpartum adoption disorder, adoption postpartum disorder. That's a real thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Talk to me a little bit about that.
0: Sure. I didn't recognize it so much with my first adoption. When I came home with Eli, I just remember I cried a lot. I cried a lot. And there were so many days, like I said, where my husband would come in and I would just leave. You know, he, I remember one day specifically where he screamed for two hours because he didn't want to take a nap. And I was sitting on my front porch with my head down, like, what am I going to do with this child? And then with our second adoption, it was so emotionally draining to be away from my son to be away from my family and my friends. And as an extroverted person, I knew people. And you're so just not around people that can talk to you in Ukraine that it was very lonely. And then you come home and you have this child and you have to continue to fight to create that attachment. And I, I just remember thinking, how does this person enjoy their kids? I don't understand that. I don't want to be around my kids. I don't understand this feeling that I'm feeling isn't it supposed to feel different so um through some great advice I went to the doctor and I got a very mild um form of an antidepressant slash anxiety medication, and it changed my life. It changed the way that I parent. I love hanging out with my kids. They are so much fun, and I missed out on some of that because I didn't recognize that this depression that I was in, first of all, that it was a depression, that it was a real thing, and that I needed some help. Um, I'm so thankful for people who spoke into my life and said, this isn't normal. You need to, you need to either talk to someone or get some help somehow. And so just recognizing that there is an emotional crash when you come home and you are in your safe, comfortable home after being gone for so long, or even just recognizing for domestic adoptions that you have to continue to fight for your child after getting them in your home. It is hard. It is is—it is challenging. And it's okay to say, I need some help. This isn't normal.
1: I love that you... Just talked about that, so honestly, that's what adoption now is about. We are not here to tell our opinions; we're here to tell our experiences and to be honest. And every road is different. And sometimes you get into a place that is unexpected, and you have emotions that you don't know what to deal with as a new mom. You know, I can so relate to what you're talking about. I had gone through this one adoption with our first child. Bringing him home was like, "Ah." I mean, I just connected with him, and it was so wonderful. And then the second one, we had a couple disrupted, but we brought home our second child. She had been exposed. And so she cried nonstop and screamed for six months. And I thought, I am exhausted from fighting to bring this child home. And now here she is home and I can't parent her and I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I felt a disconnect from my son who I had worked so hard to attach to. And all of a sudden, mommy was so focused on baby sister that then I felt this loss from not being with him. And I could tell he was kind of pulling away. I mean, it was just so hard for me. And that's the first time I had really done some research on, um, adoption, postpartum depression, bringing your baby home and not feeling what you thought you'd feel. The expectations are off. You, you know, whether it's, you expected your child to act one way, or you thought you would feel one way. And what do we do with these emotions? And so being honest about it, Sometimes people say, Well, you can't that you can't really have that because you didn't birth the baby. That's an actual hormonal thing. No, you can really have a sense of loss and depression and overwhelmed and I don't know how to parent this child. And everyone around you is going, It's so great what you did for those kids. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I'm so alone. I don't know who to talk to. And so when you brought that up as part of your story, first of all, I think it's very brave for you to share. And secondly, I think it's a very real thing. And you might be listening and saying, maybe I have that. And maybe I need to go talk to somebody. Maybe I might need some medication. I don't know what your story would be. But here is a place where we just, we don't judge you. We just love you. And we just understand that the process is like a tornado. That's a word that you (laughs) use, Natalie, and I love it. When I'm going to do an adoption, I'm going to go right in the heart of the storm. I'm going to go right into a tornado and I'm going to hang on with everything I have. And it might not always work out or it might look differently, but I'm going to believe that through that process, God is doing something and I'm fighting for a child. And that is so important. So parents that are standing up to do that and parents that are taking initiative, whether You want to grow your family, or you just love children, or both. Um, It's a part of your journey. And so, coming on this show and talking about it is very, very admirable. So, thank you so much for sharing everything you went through with the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. On a last thought, what would you say to somebody who's saying, maybe I would consider the Ukraine?
0: I would say that you need to have a lot of patience. Um, I would say it's a beautiful country with beautiful people and beautiful children. I would also encourage you that you don't necessarily have to feel that slow motion running towards each other in a, in a field of flowers initial moment with your kids. It took me a long time to feel that motherly love for them. It was work on my side, too. Um, it's worth it. My kids are amazing, and I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world.
1: Are you going to adopt more?
0: No, we don't have any plans to adopt more.
1: So you're done with two.
0: <laughs> I think so.
1: I am going to post some pictures on Facebook of Natalie and her husband, David, and their children. These pictures are so beautiful. It's pictures of when she first saw Eli and tried to pick him up, and he kind of was pulling away because he wasn't used to being picked up pictures of when the siblings saw each other at first and then a couple months later and you can see how much they've grown together pictures of their family on vacation i mean what you guys did for these two i know you don't like it when people say that and most of us don't as adoptive parents we say no they saved us i mean it was a family meant to be together but you going to the country and actually physically giving up your life and fighting um is so encouraging and you know what I'm sitting right next to her, and she's just like you or I. I mean, anybody can go and do it. If God is telling you to do it, get that paperwork ready, start your home study, and we encourage you to go to the Ukraine. Thank you for being here, Natalie.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Don't forget to like us on Facebook on Adoption Now. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.